And now, and now it's time for me to hug my new dad. <laughs> Come on in here, dad. Bring it in. Get in here, blood. Don't check to see if your wallet's still there. Don't check. I want everyone to know I love this man. I love you, Kanye. We got a lot more in common than people know. We're both geniuses. Yeah. We're both married to beautiful women. Mm -hmm. And we've both definitely been recorded saying the N-word. And, and live from New York, York is Saturday night! It's Saturday Night Live! Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing Season 44, Episode 3 of SNL with host Seth Meyers and musical guest Paul Simon. I'm John Murray, and with me as always is comedy aficionado and all-around swell dude, Steve Finn. And we're also joined this week by improv and sketch impresario, Dave Buckman. Dave has studied, directed, performed, and taught in many of the nation's premier sketch comedy haunts, including Chicago's Second City, I.O., and Annoyance Theaters, and is currently running Austin's Cold Town Theater, Sketch Fest, and the Out of Bounds Comedy Festival. You can connect with Dave on Twitter at Dave Buckman. And if you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Seth Myers. Welcome back, Dave Buckman. Hello. We had so much fun over the summer talking a little SNL vintage that when I heard Seth Myers was going to be hosting, I thought, you know what, I got to tack Dave down. This will be a fun one to go over. So uh, we got you on. I think we got our audio issues worked out, and I am excited to talk about this episode of SNL. Yeah. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. So before we jump in, uh, quickly, just give us a rundown of what you got cooking out in Austin right now for anyone who isn't aware of what you do. Sure. So I co-own and operate uh, Cold Town Theater. That's C-O-L-D-T-O-W-N-E Theater, mm -hmm. coldtowntheater.com. And we uh, have improv, sketch, and stand-up shows seven nights a week. So uh, two, three, four, five shows a night. We uh, teach classes in improv and sketch. We do corporate shows and corporate uh, trainings as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have some festivals that you'll be running throughout the summer, but we'll circle back on that at a later date to give everyone the details on that kind of stuff as it develops. Yeah, Austin Sketch Fest and Memorial Day and Out of Bounds Comedy Fest and Labor Day. That's all I need to know for now. Very good. Now, I kind of had a bit of an ulterior motive in bringing you up for this episode because as I think we touched on in our last cast, though we didn't you know, dig too deep on it, you have a bit of a history with Seth Meyers. So... I know it's fun to kind of live vicariously through our peers, especially when they, you know, when they make it to New York. And uh, I know that you have a lot of affection for the guy. And I just thought, you know what, if there's anyone that can do justice to what he brought last night, it's probably Dave Buckman. So I, appreciate uh, that. I uh, don't want to tell any tales at a school, but I, I certainly hope that uh, we can glean some fun insights uh, that maybe only you can bring to the table with regard to Seth and just how he performs and just really what the guy's all about. Yeah, he's fantastic. He was my uh, mentor in a lot of different areas. You know, he taught me how to write sketch. He taught me how to do a set list. Mm -hmm. You know, I uh, I performed with him and wrote with him, and uh, he's just a really genuinely sweet, nice, generous person. It's you know, I've had friends who've made the cast before, but to see one of your friends host the show mm -hmm. was a completely different experience altogether. And I kind of knew Tina uh, when she was in Chicago, but not like like friendship wise. I just kind of knew who she was. Right. Uh, but uh, watching Seth uh, get to host and there's a big difference between writing every sketch and being in every sketch. Uh, <laughs> and he'd be the first to tell you it's a lot harder. 
So, I mean, I love him and I'm really proud of him. So it was really exciting to watch him get to do this. Awesome. Yeah, I uh, I can't wait to break it all down with you. But we have some pressing news that we have to deal with before we jump into the show. Breaking news. Yes, breaking news. As of about, what, 2.30 this afternoon, Steve? Uh, Grande son, Pete and Ariana Grande are no more. So I'm going to throw to our um, youth and culture editor, <laughs> Steve Finn, to break down this uh, stunning new development in the ongoing saga that is Pete Davidson. Yeah, I don't know who had bets on how long this was going to take. <laughs> this is honestly sooner than I expected. Mm-hmm. I figured it was a matter of time. They're young and they're figuring things out. Right. But, uh, you know, they've gotten it over with, I guess. So he can go on to the next. Apparently he's doing it in alphabetical order. Sure. <laughs> so he'll get a nice Brittany or a Bethany uh, soon, I'm sure. So there's plenty of letters left in the C, no doubt. I think it wasn't Ariana supposed to be the musical guest on the opening week. And kind of was a last minute addition. Right. Yeah. So you wonder maybe what it was that would have been preventing that situation from happening. And I think maybe now we have a little bit of insight, you know? Also, Pete needs to focus on the show right now. He needs to get his head in the game of the show. Sure. And get some sketches. Yeah, he was able to uh, take his summer exploits for some really good weekend update pieces, but there's still a lot of uh, sketch performance that uh, he could be <laughs> tightening up. So yeah, yeah maybe uh, take a little break, clear your head, and uh, just bring your best to the show, and let's see what else you can do outside of just uh, the exploits of Pete as expressed on the update desk. Pete needs to give his PR agent a raise. Sure. Because she put him on the map. Yep. Yeah, he's a household name. Yes, but I'm also subtly hinting that this was never real in the first place. You think so? Yeah, Uh, perhaps. I mean, I was willing to err on the side of caution, (laughs) give them the benefit of the doubt, but it's just so quick. And as much heat as it drew up, it makes me wonder if this was all orchestrated just for some buzz for Ariana's career and Pete and SNL in general. Well, Ariana didn't need any help with her career. And uh, honestly, uh, young kids cross paths at SNL or wherever, you know, in the scene, uh, they think each other are interesting and they play that out for a few months. That is not that far fetched. I don't think it's quite as calculated as all that. Uh, but for whatever it is, it is over now. And, uh, I wish them both. Well, if it was truly a, a deeply emotional experience and they're reeling from it, I, I do hope that they are able to recover quickly and find future happiness as soon as possible. It must be hard being rich, famous, talented, <laughs> And beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. You can only have so much sympathy in these situations, but still, uh, people are people. Breakups can be messy. I don't know, you know, really what it's all about, but I wish them both well. Me too. Cool. Enough on that. Let's talk a little bit about our upcoming shows for November. We get Jonah Hill and Maggie Rogers announced for the November 3rd show. What do we think? Did we want to see Jonah Hill back? Uh, let's start with you, Dave. Is he a fifth timer now? Would that do it? I think it's either at least fourth or f- it's fourth or fifth. If it's fifth, yeah, for sure. I'd like to see him get that get that jacket. He deserves it. He's good. He's got a recurring character. He fits him with every sketch, and he's got some sharp timing. So I got no problem with seeing Jonah Hill again. You know, Jonah Hill, he's had some hits and misses when he's hosted. Not necessarily his fault, but um, mm-hmm. I'm happy to see Jonah again because I don't blame him for it. I think he's going to be awesome as always. And uh, yeah, not... Too big on Maggie Rogers, so I'm not, uh, can't say much to her. Okay. Who is she? Uh, she's an up and comer, singer, songwriter, uh, like East Coast kind of sensibility. 
she's not really a known quantity. This is going to be a, a breakout moment for her, which is always fun. You know, mm-hmm. when SNL is able oh, to kind of yeah. give them the national spotlight and, and see if they can uh, sink or swim uh, in the big leagues. Uh, I'm excited to see what she brings too. I did look her up a little bit just to kind of see what she was all about, but uh, yeah, she hasn't been around really long enough to, to say too much about her other than it seems like she's one of those early life musical prodigies that it was just kind of inevitable that they were going to find their way into sort of a singer songwriter career. And, uh, yeah, she might break out. She might be the next big thing and, uh, we'll find out in a few weeks. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that is, uh, all we know about November so far, we'll probably have, you know, a few more to talk about down the road. Uh, but I do want to make one quick program announcement before we jump into the show proper. And that is that even though SNL is going on hiatus for a few weeks, we are not. Mike Bloom and Mario Lanza will be taking over the mic next week and they will be dropping their first month in review episode to tide people over and give them kind of a fresh take on the show while we await the Jonah Hill episode. So people can expect that to hit our feed next Tuesday. It's nice to have a little break once in a while. Yeah, we get to step back and uh, just enjoy an SNL podcast as listeners for a change. And uh, I'm excited. I can't wait to hear it. It's going to be great. Yep. Okay, moving on. Let's get into the show. For our cold open, we get C-SPAN's full coverage of the Oval Office meeting between President Trump, Kanye West, and football legend Jim Brown. (laughs) I didn't even know Jim Brown was in that room when I saw the news clips. That's how big (laughs) those two personalities were. I I did not even know that was a thing until SNL Mm -hmm. told me. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was solid, solid Kanye dig, solid Trump digs. I enjoyed it. I'm not Mm -hmm. that big of a fan of Alex Trump, but this was a pretty good outing for that, I think. All right, Steve, what do you got? I thought it was great. You know, I, I really appreciate when they try to get it kind of photographically as close to it as they can. Sure. They had the angle, right? They had the, the desk was just as large and empty as it needed to be. Right. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the jokes were pretty steady. There were six out of 10, seven out of 10, not the best stuff I've ever seen, but for the most part, it was great to see Alec Beck and I, didn't think this was your typical talking head podium cold open that we're kind of sick of. Yep. Yeah. It definitely felt a little fresher than when we were seeing a lot of Alec last season. And they did seem to capture a little more funny than we typically get when it is just like the oval office setting political cold open. Uh, So I thought this was a win too. I particularly like that Trump works well when he's up against someone of equal or greater crazy. Mm. Like that Mm -hmm. is the fun in that kind of generated a lot of this material was him kind of having these momentary realizations that, you know, he's, he's actually sort of playing second fiddle to someone who's saying even more inflammatory, crazy things than him. I like that. I think that's a a good way to run at the Trump character. And I hope that if there's any more uh, newsworthy opportunities for them to find a a similar vein for Trump, I think it makes it a lot more fun. Uh, So it was definitely working for me and moved quick too. It wasn't as long as uh, last week or the week before. So it hit all the right points for me. You rarely see Trump uh, as the straight man. Yeah. And Keenan's eyes were just a plus. Yep. He can always sell it. What better scenario to recreate and just have Keenan sitting there. And reacting because what does he do better? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it was made for that. It was a perfect scenario for lampooning and they did it well. Yoge. Moving on. Let's take a look at the monologue. Seth Myers will never be surprised by Kanye (laughs) West. Okay. Dave, uh, our boy. Yeah. Front and center home base. What'd you think? He did great. He tells really good stories. Um, even off stage, he tells really, really good stories because he has like a photographic memory for details. It's kind of one of his Mm -hmm. gifts is, 
being able to uh, just rattle off a long list of details and facts in order and just, you know, he's, he's very good at it. He's a great, I've seen him do a couple of wedding toasts and he's even better at that too. <laughs> um, so his storytelling was great. I love the story itself. It's something I'd never heard before. And here's why, here's what made me full of joy for that moment is I love how Seth is proud of his time there mm-hmm. and he's not too humble to talk about it. Like he knows he made an impact at Science Live. Sure. And he's proud of that impact. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I think sometimes people get to that stage like, hey, I don't know if you know here, I was a writer here, I was a, I was a cast member here, but Seth knows you know that he was a cast member there. Right. He, he fully engages with that. And it, it's kind of what the audience wants. This is the golden boy returning for a victory lap kind of a thing. So yeah, rev- revel in it a little bit. Yeah, it was great. It was great. I love the story. The story was hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you think, Steve? I thought it was a, a great monologue. It lived up to the definition of what a monologue should be sure yep. and uh i thought he killed it obviously you know seth would never fumble on something like this he's too much of a pro right would you say he pretty much 100 percent wrote this himself i uh, i think that 75 percent of this was already in his back pocket you know this is stuff that sure has probably been dinner conversation fair for a while so he just had to tighten it up and and turn it into you know a, a tighter piece for the monologue but uh yeah this was this was already all there, all him. There was, mm-hmm. Yeah. There wasn't too far. He had to go to get it over the, the finish line there. That's what I loved about it though. It was just honest storytelling, you know? Yeah. There wasn't a huge punchline at the end. That's how you can tell it was real. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't, it didn't have a joke at the end of the, of the thing. It was just kind of like, and that's what happened. Uh, yeah. So you can yeah. probably tell the honesty of that moment rather than some, some big setup for a big punchline. Yep. Such poise, yeah. <laughs> you know, a very <laughs> articulate and polished delivery. That was really my my big note on it was this guy has how many thousands of hours of monologuing now between the update desk, his late night show. Like this is just him doing what he does at this point. Mm-hmm. He, he couldn't be more effortless in how well he can present that kind of material. And so, yeah, it just, it felt like a really well-delivered monologue. And that is refreshing to see on SNL sometimes. So. I liked it. I thought this was a great way to kick off the show. And it just said, Hey, this is going to be a steady one. Yep. Very good. Let's uh, take a look at our first live sketch at an IFC center, special screening film director, Andrew Phillips fields questions from the audience. I love that format of, of Seth just receiving a line of crazies. Yeah. With one liners and just, it's kind of what he does when he does uh, the Sarah Huckabee press conferences on the show, you know, it's mm-hmm. just like him being him playing grounded uh and then cecily crazy characters are my favorite i love when she sure. when she just walks on as a crazy obviously high or drunk or just like she's so good at that and it makes me laugh every time <laughs> so that was a nice capper for me everybody got a win that came out there they definitely have a lot of character actors in their cast right now so sure. it's a great time to bring seth back and just absorb the humor as he does very well mm-hmm. and, and throw it back so uh I thought it was a win. thought it was cute. Uh, for example, the Adele Dazeem. That was a reference to when John Travolta got Adina and Zell's name wrong mm. at the Oscars. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, I caught that. That was pretty clever. Yeah, no, I didn't pick up on that, but that's, uh, that's a good catch. Um, I loved it. thought this was really good. If you're going to do a parade of idiots, make sure that they're all just sharp and well-realized. And I just think everyone had something fun to bring to the table. And uh, Seth, yeah, he's a, a master of, of being the straight man in, in these situations. So who can fault any of this? This was great. End to end had a really good way to exit too. I just high marks, really high marks. A lot of blood. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to our first pre-tape. 
Beta Force is the only supplement to help you be a regular middle-aged man. I love the sketch so much. They had so much going for it. It's, first of all, Seth with two different kinds of facial hair yeah. and the shaved head. It was great. <laughs> Seeing Seth out of, out of the suit, out of his persona, and just being somebody else. was I had, You'd forget that he, that he does that every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Very good heightening moments. Uh, just the way they kept building and building on that. And then mm-hmm. a great twist at the end that it's actually a commercial for Beta Force. Yes. It was great. I think my favorite moment was Seth's eyes when he was porno railing his wife. Yes. <laughs> it just, it was, it got me yeah. just to see it. That, that sex face <laughs> was weird and uncomfortable for me, but I loved it. And I, I watched it three or four times because it was making me laugh so hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that one really caught me off guard too when I saw it for the first time. Cause yeah, they, they hit it so quick. Like it comes and goes so quick, yeah. but yeah, he's, he's drenched in sweat. He's like looking up just pure intensity, yeah, veins popping. <laughs> but the sketch was great. The voiceover was great. The writing was great. Yep. What do you think, Steve? Was this working for you? Definitely. Uh, it's funny to watch like what a man wants himself to be and what a woman wants that same man to be <laughs> you know as you get old and you and the gut comes on you know you're like i wish i could have been my younger self and maybe the wife you've grown old with is like i like this tamer you know less of a bad boy that i've i've <laughs> you know made a husband out of mm-hmm. so like there's that subtle conflict that makes this a little more uh profound than meets the eye uh, pretty sharp. I don't want to tread back over what you guys already covered. It, it was all good. It was really well done. Uh, they hit all the the quintessential moments of a midlife crisis realized. So, yeah, was having a lot of fun at this point. This this one really, really had me grinning. Yep. And I hope 80s osteoporosis uh, <laughs> yes. gets some relief. Yeah. Cool. Moving on. We get another live sketch. Two thirsty cops harass <laughs> an unwittingly delicious motorist. I like seeing uh, uh, Leslie and Ego's first collaboration together. I was very curious sure. what that was going to be. I think they found great rhythm with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leslie jumped a few cues, but Ego is so like smooth. Most people didn't even realize that she had and just went back and got it. And they continued mm-hmm. on. And Leslie wasn't thrown and they just found a great rhythm with each other. Even when it wasn't like exactly perfect, people sure. who don't know wouldn't know, which was great to see. That kind of collaboration, that kind of listening to each other. I liked I liked the scene a lot better the second time that I watched it. I really found the value in it. At first, I was like, well, uh, uh, kind of cheap uh, and low-hanging fruit, but it got funnier. For for such a, a lacking premise, yes. I think it <laughs> it got more than one would expect out of it. Yeah. It was nice to see Ego uh, get some real meaty screen time. And I think it was great that she came in and had Leslie as her wingman for this. I liked it. I spent the first half of the sketch wondering if there was meant to be a message in it. Like, is this a bizarro world where women are the, you know, assertive, domineering, harassing members of society and the men are, I thought maybe they were going for something, you know, a little social commentary with it. But as soon as I realized, no, 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 no. This is just a fun Mm -hmm. performance of you know, two wacky women doing wacky things and you just take it on those terms and have fun with it and just set aside whatever someone might be able to read into it. Once I got there, I had a lot of fun with it. So kind of like what Dave said, my second viewing, I was having more fun with it just because I could take it on its terms and not assume that maybe there was more going on here than really was. Yeah. It was just, yeah, just cat calling from the other side. So I'm counting it as a win personally. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
Very good. Let's keep moving here. After that, we get another pre-tape, A Frightening Tale. Brandon recounts his horrific encounter with a 22-year-old aspiring filmmaker. Yeah, this is another one that got a little bit better the second time I watched it. I didn't really like it at first. It felt a little punching down a little bit uh, uh, of, you know, people who need a mentor and looking for some help. (laughs) You know, it's supposed to be some rarefied air to be in Silent Live and be bombarded a hundred times a day from old friends and people you don't know sure. for help. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I think when you get to that, that level, sometimes you forget what it's like to need that kind of hand up. Okay. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. You're the only person that probably sympathized with uh, the <laughs> aspiring filmmaker. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Yeah. Uh, about the, I mean, it was an okay sketch. Uh, I think uh, they all played it really well. Seth mm-hmm. played it really well. Heidi played it really well. And Kyle <laughs> played it really well. And Beck played it really well. So uh, I just, you know, the humor just felt a little uh, elitist. Okay. All right. <laughs> what do you think, Steve? Yeah, I uh, I could relate to this, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> as a former aspiring filmmaker who who went to film school at York University. And, and uh, you know, I, I didn't go as far as wearing the scarf and beret, <laughs> but I do have the plastic rim glasses. So... I thought it was very astute and I thought that the observational humor in this was universal enough to work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the great performances, the great cinematography editing, uh, this was pretty well done, funny pre-tape. Yep. I agree. I, I give it high marks. I wasn't too put off with, uh, the unsympathetic way that they, painted the the youth in this one uh i felt that there was a lot of truth in it that the the pain is real when you make the time to do something nice for a friend and it turns into a multi-year commitment of you know someone glomming on and just needing more and more and more uh i'm sure there's a lot of people that can relate to that you don't necessarily want to be the mentor all the time and and uh, it could be a little bit exhausting so Mm. I, i i was seeing what they were trying to shoot for there. And I, I thought they hit it pretty well. I feel it was very relatable, at least for me. So I don't know where Dave's coming from on this one, but <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was working well for me. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> Dave, it sounds like Dave was in a better mood on his rewatch than the original. Yeah. It got funnier. I think I enjoyed the, uh, the writing of it. I enjoyed Seth's acting of it more mm-hmm. and I got to know what they were going for a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, I work with 200 artists and comedians and sure and improvisers and they're all trying to climb that ladder. So I know what that's like too. I'm still very much in the trenches, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's totally fair. That's where your sympathies need to be. It is funny how sometimes things will touch a nerve if, if you can relate to it personally and you see the other side of it and you can sympathize with the character. Um, but for me personally, who's just, you know, cold hearted and dead inside, this was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, on that note, let's keep moving. We get another live sketch. A new prison inmate encounters a recently incarcerated Bill Cosby. Uh, fun fact, John Mulaney popped in to drop this one on the show this week. Oh, good for him. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He's got a credit at the end of the show for this one. Um, what do we think? Was this fun? Yes, this is very fun. I'm <laughs> glad someone finally did a Cosby in jail sketch <laughs> for a national audience. It, the world needed that scene. I think we've all been thinking it. I don't know why. It's taken so long for somebody yeah. to do this somewhere. Uh, this is a great version. I loved so many parts of it. I loved uh, him hiding a hoagie in the walls. And <laughs> he has a turtle that he thinks is Quincy Jones. Kind of like Michael Jackson's, <laughs> like Michael Jackson's been the rat kind of thing. Right, right. Relationship. Yep. And, you know, great lines. Like, how come every time I mentor somebody, it ends up turning on me? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that was unreal. That's that that was on television. Have you considered just dying? It was yeah. un like just floored me. And then when he, he calls for his own applause break, yeah, uh, in the middle of his Theo speech, you can tell he's a little delusional. He's living on the set of the Cosby Show there <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Yeah, Applau- applause. It was great. And who better to be playing the straight man to Bill Cosby than Seth Meyers? <laughs> I mean, is the perfect foil for that allows and just seeing Keenan and Seth enjoying each other old friends old castmates just playing mm-hmm. with each other was great and thank god it's those two and yeah. Mulaney apparently too kind of like taking care of this national kind of catharsis for all of us <laughs> yeah yeah there's a few dark little beats in there that seem characteristically Mulanian. it was definitely the right voice for this mm-hmm. kind of material so uh yeah i give it high marks but uh, uh what do you think steve Mulanian, huh i like that turn of phrase <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to hear this is a Melanian sketch. Had no idea. Uh, now that I've been told that, I see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, explains why I enjoyed it so much. I usually do enjoy John's work. And boy, was this ever a prime example. But this is what I loved about the sketch, that they take that wholesome persona of Bill Cosby, and they even write it in, in a realistic way. They, they show that Bill Cosby is kind of delusional now and, and where he's losing his sight, he's kind of losing it. So he actually thinks he's this Bill Cosby on TV, Bill Cosby, right. the one who eats the hoagies and the jello <laughs> and he dances himself out of his comas or whatever. That's what's hilarious to me is that this Bill Cosby would be that oblivious to everything going around and would have this weird whimsical attitude about it. I loved it. Yep. And, uh, I never want to stop seeing Keenan do Bill Cosby. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You get the impression that come hell or high water, Bill Cosby has no intention of ever acknowledging any of this like conviction be damned. He doesn't paint himself in those terms. So it seems kind of sharp that the sketch takes that and dials it up and says, okay, if he's so like invested in being the wholesome dad character, let's just run through all of Cosby's greatest hits, every fun cliche moment from the Cosby show and show how awkward it is to see that with what we now know, you know, the context of, of who Bill Cosby is. That's, that's smart. It's smart. It's, it's an obvious thing to jump on, but when it's done well and when it's performed well, and you have exactly the right stew of characters and writers pulling it off, it, it can be really, really sharp. And I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Oh, heck yes. Keenan's relationship with Cosby is, uh, <laughs> you know, it goes so far back. He was, he played found Albert yeah, like the, yeah. the, the summer he got Saturday night live. So that, I wonder how he feels now. Yeah, that's got, it's a weird extra layer of context to all this because he did have a relationship with the man and obviously a reverence for him. So now oh, yeah. that's personally shattered and he has to decide what he wants to do with that. Yeah. Um, and he's choosing to turn it into some pretty sharp comedy. So I, I can get on board with that. I, I hope he's at peace with the whole issue because that, that would be kind of tricky, especially right. for someone like Keenan. He would have grown up with Cosby and uh, that would have been yeah. In many ways, probably who he aspired to be and, you know, who he looked up to as this is the role model in entertainment that, you know, that we can all champion. So that's, there, there's something there. And, yeah. uh, it's, it's nice that, you know, he can roll with it for what it is now as dark and weird as it all played out to be. For sure. Cool. Enough on that. Musical performances, Paul Simon, along with chamber ensemble, why music perform can't run, but and bridge over troubled waters. It was lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting take. 
but you know, Bridge Over Trouble Water was beautiful. I wasn't familiar with the first song. I assume it's a new song. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So it was okay. Not my thing. The orchestral stuff wasn't my thing, but, uh, the songs were lovely. Okay. All right. So you were kind of lukewarm. If we're going to just uh, put a bow on that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what do you think, Steve? Well, I loved it. Okay. I'm a ginormous Paul Simon fan. Have been for years. Even as he continues to put out new music, I always end up loving it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just never, never seems to miss for me. This, uh, this new uh, Can't Run song, holy jumping slag. This, I, I don't know these Y music guys, but obviously they're top-notch musicians. Sure. I just love the staccato, the, the driving, very deliberate syncopation. Mm-hmm. And as for Bridge Over Troubled Water, Paul Simon's always been a master arranger. If you listen to any one of his albums, there's always a different influence. Yeah. Whatever he feels like doing, they all f- sound generally like Paul Simon's songs. You can recognize the songwriting yep. as characteristically his, but he can change it to a whole other soundscape, just seemingly at the snap of his fingers. So yeah, for him to do another arrangement of Bridge Over Troubled Water, uh, whatever he decides to do, he could come out with a kazoo up his butt and play it that way. It would probably be amazing. And that's all I got to say. All right. High marks for Paul Simon. Uh, I'm siding with Steve on this one. I was pretty won over by all of this. I just couldn't help but think if you were in the audience that night, you must have felt like you kind of scored the hottest ticket in town. Sure. Right. Like you got Paul Simon doing something like unique and fresh that we probably haven't seen from him. I know he's been touring with that. Uh, why music group and you know this music has been out there but for just you know casual fans this is something really unique and special that they're seeing performed on the stage and you've got it on a night where everything else just seems to be firing really well so i just felt like people must have felt pretty darn cool being in 8h last night watching that go down and as far as the the music is concerned I, i thought it was stunning especially his backing chamber music there they just bring those instruments to life and are able to really stay on his vocal. Like Mm -hmm. everything that he was doing was super precise and they were right there with him every step of the way. Nothing felt loose. Nothing felt uncontrolled. It was just a really, really pristine performance and watching him up there, move around in front of them, his arms, you know, doing what they do in the moment. It felt like he was orchestrating them and they were just, in the zone, taking their cues from him on some of this. And that just felt really, really neat to watch. So enjoyed the songs. I, you know, you've got something unfamiliar and then something tried and true. I feel like that's usually how most musical performers hit SNL, you know, please the crowd, but also try and introduce them to something. Um, it was all there. I just, I ate it up. I thought this was really good. So, uh, high marks for me. Yes. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) moving on weekend update. For their lead-in, Jost and Che tackle the recent climate change pronouncements of doom. What'd you think, Dave? How was the opening salvo this week? Uh, it was pretty good. I mean, I liked how they did not make it about Kanye in a way and kind of push something else to the forefront of the news, which should have been the forefront of the news. It's odd when we can update is kind of like being the responsible <laughs> news outlet uh, for the week. But yeah, it was great. I, it was solid jokes tonight. Uh, yeah, all around. I mean, we'll get to the, the desk pieces in a little bit. What do you think, Steve? How uh, how was this hitting you this week? Uh, yeah, weekend update. Opening salvo was was pretty good. That mm-hmm. the writing was uh, it was pretty even keeled. They had 
pretty much down the middle. Uh, not a whole lot of highs and lows, but we hovered around the mean in terms of quality, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, they told those jokes relatively uh, well, without <laughs> error. That's all you can ask for. Yep. This was good. This was fun. I like that they didn't jump right into their Trump or Trump slash Kanye material. It's nice just to have a different topic to explore. And I think they had a lot of fun with it. Uh, All the trivial things that people let get in the way of worrying about the end of the world. That is a pretty solid foundation for some, some good uh, jokes. And I thought they hit pretty much all of them. There was no super fumbly moments or anything that really dragged it down. It was pretty even keel. I liked it. Yeah, wasn't bad. Cool. Let's look at our first feature. Heidi Gardner as Goop staffer Baskin Johns discussing the latest in self-care. New character from Heidi. What'd you think, Dave? Uh, I loved it. I loved it. I love Heidi characters. I love Heidi new characters. I think she, I can't wait for her to take over the show. I think she's the <laughs> second coming of Kristen Wiig and she's yeah. she's a force of nature uh, that is eventually going to be dominating the show uh, just because mm-hmm. how she can seamlessly pull these three dimensional characters out every single time. They're all unique. She does so many good things. She reminds me of Stephanie Weir, who used to be on mad TV. She's a second Mm -hmm. city actress, just fully realized nervous ticks and believable (laughs) kind of like, just you can see the wheels turning in these characters heads and how they think. And it pulls you in to sympathize with them, even though they're train wrecks. So watching Baskin Johns kind of put things together and realize things, she's so good at those moments. I loved it. I hope we get to see Baskin Johns again. Oh, I'm sure we will. I don't know if Baskin Johns is going to always be representing Goop or she's going to be representing some other celebrity pet <laughs> uh, uh, project thing. But I don't know what it is, but I loved it. She doesn't seem like the sort of person who could hold down a job for too long. So I'm yeah. sure she will be looking for her next opportunity I can't wait very soon to see where they <laughs> take this character. What will be the same and what will be different each time. But mm. she nails it so good. Very good. What'd you think, Steve? Thought it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. She is an amazing force of nature. And I really love this particular character. There was, you know, a little bit of a setup. We knew she was a, um, uh, a spokesperson for this brand, Gwyneth Paltrow owns the brand. You don't usually see the catalyst of the whole thing within the performance. Mm-hmm. And uh, she came out and if it wasn't for that line, you know, within the reality of it all. <laughs> Gwyneth might be watching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if Michael never mentioned that, you know, she probably would have done all right. And and I love that that was just thrown at her right before she had to perform. Right. Right before she had to do her little pitch. And, uh, I just thought it was great. I'm going to second everything that you guys said. Uh, I'm in total agreement that it's rare to find a performer that can really just, you know, capture a feeling (laughs) like that. Like, like you said, Steve, the moment that she kind of gets put off and she kind of loses her groove and she has to just keep pushing through it. And you just feel the anxiety mounting. She, she plays that all very well. I am going to offer a critique though, because I think at this point, Heidi is all but a repertory player. She has a lot of strong moments throughout all the shows, you know, later in the back half, we're going to see her walk out with the host and dominate a sketch as one of the main players. So uh, I don't feel like we have to go easy on Heidi. So I'm just going to say the only thing that I find a little bit challenging with some of Heidi's characters is that she really leans into the sort of chipmunk effect on her voice. When she gets nervous, there's a bit of a vibration in her voice that she really lays on thick. Uh And I find that that can just be a little bit distracting 
and it can kind of um, pull you out of the moment because you hear it across all of Heidi's characters. So it's a little bit harder to get lost in a character when there's this familiar tone that kind of peppers everything that she does. And so I don't know if that's just her natural voice coming through or if it's something that she puts on because there's some comedic value in having that sort of chipmunk s quality um in your delivery i don't know what it is but i just feel like it needs to be tamed a little bit and i I think maybe a little less of it could go a long way but i'm not gonna come down hard on heidi because when you see something that overall is very strong and has a lot of merit and just is genuinely funny you still gotta you know give it thumbs up even if there is you know maybe one little performance aspect that if i had any say in it i'd say you know maybe try and rein that in a bit couldn't you say the same thing about will ferrell and uh, Mike Myers and Phil Hartman, where they all there's absolutely all, there's always yeah. something about their <laughs> yes. characters that have a yes. through line between that bleeds all of through. Them. It bleeds yeah. through. Yeah, sure. I'm not saying that this is unique to Heidi and yeah. that you couldn't level the same criticism. I'm just saying if we're going to be fair and I'm just going to present the things that pop into my head as I'm watching the show, good or bad, mm-hmm. I'm going to say you know Heidi's a force, and you're absolutely right that she's going to be running the show. But like Kristen Wiig before her or any other standout character, there are certain Mm-hmm. Um, mannerisms or just aspects of their personality or their delivery that don't always need to be front and center because then the actual character that they're trying to present can shine more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just, it's food for thought if nothing else, but I still had fun with it. Yeah. Belushi's eyebrows, two words, Belushi's eyebrows. Go. Yeah. Let me ask you this. What is your favorite <laughs> Chris red character that doesn't widen his eyes sure. after he <laughs> delivers a line? Yeah, which of those characters is your favorite? All right, I get it. I get it. <laughs> this is something that could apply to everyone equally, and it's something that you kind of have to just take it for what it's worth because it doesn't make or break a performance. It's just something that popped into my head. I want to say it, yeah. if nothing else, just to be fair and uh, try and call it like I see it. Well, well don't do that. <laughs> That's not what we're here to do. We're cheerleaders, plain and simple. Get on board. Um, yeah, but. Still, high marks for Heidi. I love everything that she does. I love all the characters that she's brought. And uh, she's continuing to distinguish herself. So, always high marks. High praise. What about our second feature? We get the return of Really with Seth, Colin, and Michael. This time, they're discussing Trump meeting with Kanye West at the Oval Office. Uh, It was great. I'm so happy to see Really. I love Mm -hmm. Really. I love every time he does it. Uh, it's one of my favorite Seth bits. It's so perfect for him because uh, he could just like machine gun you with punchlines. <laughs> uh, and it's just perfect for his sense of timing and a sense of rhythm and a sense of joke writing too, because he's such a solid joke writer. that of course, he's going to have eight, nine different takes on the same thing, which right. is, you know, one of his stock and trades. I love uh, <laughs> finding out about Che's four N words in his contract. That was great. And the, I believe that yeah. I believe it. And the cry on, uh, where we get to, I hope we get to see them as they come up for sure. the rest of the season. Like, yeah. a, like America, <laughs> yeah, knocking them down one at a time. Yeah. Like America's most wanted exes. Like, <laughs> yeah, I love the line where, uh, it's rare that you can see black people and white supremacists, uh, betrayed in the same moment. That was a yes. brilliant, brilliant joke. Mm-hmm. I agree wholeheartedly. A lot of fun. Smart as ever. Great bit. Steve, what'd you think? I thought it was it was all right. I was more interested in seeing that mix up of Seth with the new uh weekend update anchors. Sure. It almost feels like kind of like a a team up Avengers <laughs> film. Yeah. Kind of cool to see Colin Jost who is 
maybe a little bit of a Seth Meyers protege back in the day, you know, he's finally come into his own, he's got his own rhythm and stride for update. And now he's kind of like welcoming back Seth in a way there's, there's something kind of charming, a little camaraderie there, you know, a bunch of people at the top of their game, just flexing a little bit. I I thought it was good. I thought it was fun. No, their chemistry works great, which is surprising for how much Colin got accused of just being a Seth impersonator or just like a robotic version of what he did. Right. Uh, I think you need that when you're going to do uh, really with Seth Myers. You know, you had the, a good rapport with, with Seinfeld, a good rapport with Kermit the Frog, <laughs> and uh, the other handful of people he's done it with. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah, overall a win in my books. Yep, yep, this was fun. Let's get into the back half of the show. We get a live sketch. Bayou Benny's liberal Danyap welcomes on guest panelist the Taylor Swift, da Henri Goddard, that done been sleeping under my house, the chili pepper with the sunglasses and Seth Myers. <laughs> uh, what do you think, Dave? This is fantastic. I loved it. Uh, it was so much better than it should have been. Sure. I think that's hundred percent Beck Bennett. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, doing his full on Cajun justice, Sudeikis character, right? Yeah. Just, he tagged out Sudeikis, took his character and just <laughs> heightened it to a 10, which was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so he really sold the hell out of that scene. Uh, mm-hmm. And made uh, maybe a, a six scene at ten. Yeah, I didn't get Heidi's Taylor Swift. I didn't get the Gator. I didn't get the Chili Pepper. It seemed like they, they could have done so much more with those concepts or even those seats. Um, like I, I don't like wasted characters. Uh-huh. Like I wanted you know some jokes, some proper jokes out of them. Otherwise, there's no point to them. Okay, but Seth out of place on a talk show. He doesn't know what's going on. Perfect premise for Seth to play. Sure. Uh, and 100% love Beck just driving it home the whole way and not giving up. Okay, so some fierce performance, but maybe an underdeveloped sketch overall. For sure, which is why it is where it is in the running order. Sure. What do you got, Steve? I don't have a whole lot because I don't fully understand it. <laughs> I don't know if this is some kind of uh, kind of hit piece against the liberals. Uh, like, Is this something that you know, the right wingers have made to make liberals look bad. Is that what they're doing? I don't know. Oh No, don't read into this. This is just pure stupidity. And Beck had okay. a really good accent and they said, let's do something with that. <laughs> good. Good. Cause I was looking under the surface and wasn't seeing anything. No, and no, I was no. like, Oh no, my God, under the surface. This is a blue talk show in a red, deep red state. Yeah. How does the Louisiana sensibility translate into a liberal talk show? It doesn't, it's totally ridiculous end to end. It and you doesn't. put someone like Seth that, maybe is a more measured, prominent liberal voice. You put him in the middle of this, you know, circus, it's going right. to be bizarre to say the least. I think that's all it was. I don't think there's anything else there. Well, yeah. just enjoying it for what it is. You know, Beck Bennett takes you for an absolute <laughs> ride and we all love Seth as the straight person. Right. And it's great because he always has a basic level of respect uh, when dealing with the crazies. So yes. while he's like having trouble understanding, he's still trying. He's being patient. He's not yeah. just writing him off and being like, okay, you're nuts. And uh, that helps make it work for sure. sure. Yeah. Much like thirsty cops. I just see this purely as we have these fun characters. Let's just, you know, have a fun little romp with them. Mm-hmm. No more, no less. Um, but for that, I thought it really worked. I, like you guys have already said, Beck was just on fire here. So uh, I'm definitely going to give him high marks. And I just thought it was fun. It was just uh, as much as all the other players in the scene, other than Seth were really just sight gags, essentially, you know, all of that stuff is really kind of cheap 
but it got me. I was having fun with it and I was already sold by Beck that whatever else they did in the sketch mm-hmm. just, you know, had me giggling. So it was working. I loved it. Glad to hear it. Moving on, we get another live sketch. A couple enthusiastically recount their Cuban cultural experience. <laughs> this reminds me of a lot of those early Seth Meyers sketches mm-hmm. uh, that he would write for himself and a, and a host. You know, like that Hugh Jackman uh, fashion photographer sketch or just, you know, an oddball pair of people who yep. are very hyper-focused on one specific thing and they come at it from every single possible direction in the sketch where we're just going to hit this one thing over and over and the approaches just will be different. We're going to think of all the approaches possible and come up with a solid approach to each of one, one of them. There'll be a good joke. We'll move on to the next one. So it felt like a classic Seth sketch. Mm-hmm. And I wrote finally Seth as a character. Uh, that's not Seth. Uh, <laughs> great chemistry between Heidi and Seth. Yeah. Uh, in this scene, and then they were kind of like finishing each other's moments and really mm-hmm. kind of supporting each other with the uh, just the sides and the facial gestures and the repeating words after each other. And they do such a masterful job of uh, a comedy dance where they are complimenting each other, but not stepping on anything, and also mm-hmm. not stealing focus while the other person is getting their laugh, but completely supporting them in that moment. And I think they they found a great rhythm together in this scene. Yeah. On my rewatch, I was focusing on Heidi's expressions whenever Seth was talking. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really telling as to what you were getting at there. You watch her expressions. She's reliving the experience and emoting it, whatever it is that (laughs) Seth is, you know, is explaining to them. She's in the moment kind of like having that experience again and you see it and it's really sharp and it's really, really good. But like you said, it's not dominating. She's not just chewing up the scenery for the sake of get the focus on me. She's playing the role and that's exceptional. And she's not reading the cue card. She's not reading ahead on the cue cards. Yeah. She's she's in the moment in the moment. And she knows, you know, yeah. she knows the sketch that well. Yep. Yep. So this is why I felt like I could maybe offer a little critique earlier on, because like I alluded to yeah. when she's doing stunning work, you can tell she's going to have a long, long career with the show. Uh, she's, she's made it. She's, she's there. She's in the mix. She's, playing a lead role next to the host and really owning it. And uh, that was what was the big win for me with this. I thought it was funny overall, but it's back half of the show kind of fair. But when you have something exceptional like that, that you can kind of latch onto and say, that makes this a little bit more special than just your typical kind of people around a table being ridiculous kind of sketch. Uh, that's what I'm going to count as the big win here. What did you think, Steve? Pretty much everything you guys said. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we can all relate to having that friend, uh, the one that's so easily (laughs) swayed and influenced by their most immediate surroundings that they start to develop accents and, uh, (laughs) you know, just the sheer ignorance of it all makes them think they can be experts in whatever culture in in their two or three week vacation. Right. So that's what's working here. and, And I think they hit a lot of those recognizable points. And as you guys said, yeah, performances were great and they just really sold how insufferable these people can be. (laughs) So still having fun. This episode's going pretty strong so far. Yeah. Moving on. We get another pre-tape. Two rappers aggressively advocate for environmental causes. It was okay. It felt derivative of previous music videos we've seen. It reminded me a lot of Frendo's. It had a, a lot of same beats as Frendos and uh, even the uh, Tucci gang as well. 
a little yeah. bit of that in there. Mm-hmm. So it felt unnecessary. I think I would have rather seen something else in this spot. Okay. It's no friendos. It's no. there's a lot of things you could compare this to that it might crumble in comparison, but for what it is, I think it's pretty good. Yeah. I just want to point out that we are what? 10, 15 minutes from the end of the show at this point, And they're apparently not having to dig too deep for winning material. Like this may not be the strongest piece of the night. We had some really fun pre-tapes earlier, but this wasn't, you know, a clunker or a loss. It is living in the shadow of the other sketches that have come before as you know, we've all noted, but just as its own fun little outing, this, this was great. This was great. You know, they, they have the, uh, rap video mode with all the theatrics and the lighting and the energy and the music of it all. And then, you know, you have a really hard cut back to reality and they have to have the interchange with the doctor, whatever. And then the doctor kind of plays the mentor role and has a little spiel about, you know, having a broader view of environmental causes. Like there were a lot of sharp little moments. And I got to say, Chris red sitting on the ground, pouring out Mm -hmm. bottled water onto a tree, realizing that he's not going to get any instant gratification, (laughs) you know, trying to figure out, you know, is my soil bad? Like, man, it takes a long time for trees to go. That, that was pretty darn charming for, you know, a quarter to one. So I was good on this, not the strongest of the night, but I had a lot of fun, but the show had totally won me over at this point. So maybe I'm going easy on it, but this, this had me grinning too. I thought Mm -hmm. it was good. Yeah, man. Good stuff. Cool. And that takes us all the way to our 10 to one sketch. The Treese Hilderson trio discuss their personal medical matters while hosting the Marriott's adult Halloween costume contest. <laughs> I love seeing again, Seth in a Kenny G wig playing <laughs> sure. the electric piccolo. Uh, yeah. And I love um, again, their chemistry, Keenan and Seth's and uh, Kyle was showing up as well. It was okay. It wasn't great. I think it had one of those moments that uh, Keenan and Seth do very well when they're talking to somebody that you can't hear over the phone. Yes. <laughs> they're both really good at that. Yeah. And I just love seeing that. Um, I'm not that big of a fan of Therese Henderson trio. Okay. I like my 10 to ones to be a little bit more absurd. Sure. A little bit more esoteric, a little more smarter. Okay. This isn't uh, the, the riskiest stuff. I think we've seen the Therese Henderson trio before. Mm-hmm. A few times. Yeah. Yeah. But I could watch Keenan sing all day. Mm. Uh, it makes me miss the the old uh, what up with that. And yes, all that. sure. I'd rather see one of those. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think this is the next best thing we can get. And I love that someone looked at Seth Myers and said, hey, you got a nose like Kenny G and then put <laughs> it that wig on him. That is the real brilliance of this. Sure. Uh, but yeah, you got to love the unfolding of the story as they're just trying to get through a performance. Right. Like, how much of a mess does your life have to be that you can't even just <laughs> play a, a five-minute song on stage without finding out you have to throw away your beloved Gucci shoes? Uh-huh. <laughs> I had fun with it, and maybe it wasn't the smart, nuanced uh, uh, social commentary that Dave was looking for in a 10-to-1, but I felt it was Not social commentary, just taking a bigger risk. Uh, I think you are both right. You know, 10 to one fair is where you want to see something a little bit more bizarre and challenging and, uh, you know, adventurous that's fair. But at the same time, this was a solid, like it's not brilliant. It's not groundbreaking, but as far as a tree Hilderson trio outing, this is maybe like the first time that there wasn't like a really big clunky moment right in the middle that kind of stalled out the sketch. It was one of the more well-rounded and better performed outings with them and so i got to give it credit just for 
how well it was executed for being, you know, your, your middle of the road material. I, I thought it was pretty solid. There you go. And I think that, uh, that does it. That is our episode recap. We covered a lot of ground. They had a lot of material tonight. Mm-hmm. It felt like an extra long show. I was like, where are they finding all this time? Yeah. I think it's just, um, a testament to tight sketches that don't overstay their welcome, right? Like you can fit in a couple extras when That's you've Seth. got them pared down to just their core. Yeah. Sharp writing. That's Seth. Yes, exactly. That's the one thing I learned from Seth as a sketch writer is yeah. you get rid of everything that is not the main joke, no matter how funny it is. If it's not serving the thesis statement of the scene, then it's got to go. Right. It was a very brisk and focused show. You see that throughout. Absolutely. That's his style. Cool. Well, let's get into our ratings. Moment of the night. What do you got, Dave? I'm going to take Seth's eyes during the porno railing, I think. Uh, that moment where he was just like, it's a part of Seth I don't think I'd ever wanted to see, but now I can't get that out of my head. And it was hysterical. It was hysterical. Okay. And you know, combine that with um, 80 putting the ice pack on her crotch. <laughs> Those two together, I think, was my uh, moment of the night. <laughs> yeah, that was a real fun pre-tape. A lot of good moments in there. What do you got, Steve? I'm going to give it to Keenan's little Bill Cosby dance. Sure. When he's explaining why he just can't die. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, it just uh, caught me off guard by just how accurate it was and seemingly effortless. Very good. I'm going with Bayou Benny. There's a moment early on in that sketch where Beck is face on the camera and he delivers basically like the whole roll call without ever skipping a beat. Just the pace is there. The accent is there. The character is there. The, just the energy and just the, the fury of it all was just spilling out of him. He really was on top of the material and he got through it without stumbling. And with that heavy an accent where the words are all corrupted and there's so much drawl and there's just so much that should be impeding your ability to work through that material so quickly. He just, he hit it. He hit it. So either he really did his homework and just really studied up and, and just had his lines down or he was just really good in the moment, whatever it was. I perked up and said, Beck's doing some good work there. That's my moment. Good moment. Best sketch. What do you got, Dave? Uh, I think between the Lanyap and Cosby and Beta Force, I'm going to go Beta Force. Okay. I I usually like live sketches over tape sketches, but I think Beta Force made me laugh the hardest. Uh, It had just those moments, the moments of heightening and the switch at the end was just (laughs) very smart and very funny. And every single time they took it somewhere, it surprised me and made me laugh. So I'm going to give it to Beta Force. Very good. What do you got, Steve? I'm going with the Cosby sketch. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Cosby incarceration takes it for me, for sure. It just had balls to it. <laughs> sure. You know, it's one thing uh-huh. to go there, but to really be as brutal as they were and to make it as laugh it loud funny. Yep. Uh, it, yeah. Uh, it's definitely well-deserving of best sketch. Sure. But I'm going to go with an IFC center special screening purely because... Mm. We rarely get a parade of idiot sketch where every idiot is memorable and mm-hmm. well-realized. And again, no fumbling, just end to end perfect execution, high production values, just everything you could put into a simple sketch like that to make it a cut above was in that sketch. And I was surprised just how competent it was. This is just a great example of like what you already touched on, Dave, where you just really drill in on the essence, the thesis of the sketch, and you just go down that one road and you make it as polished and funny a road as you can possibly travel without getting sidetracked. And this sketch was a great example of that. And it just really set the night off right mm. for me. 
Yeah. Cool. MVP. Uh, well, for me, it's between Seth and Heidi. Mm-hmm. I think Heidi takes it this week by by a nose. I think she has three or four fully re- even even her uh, character in the pre tape around the campfire felt yep. fully realized with maybe two lines tops. Yeah, the the doting crush. It's yes. all there for you. Yeah, yeah, and it's all there in her line reading. And I think she just completely every time she was out there, hit, not only hit a home run but hit a memorable home run. Fair enough, Steve. I'm giving it to Keenan. Wow. Sure. Keenan, uh, this whole episode was just painted Keenan color. <laughs> and the stuff that he was in was more often than not my favorite part of the sketch. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going for Keenan. Very good. Uh, great outing for Keenan. Could not fault you for that. I'm going with Heidi. I think uh, Dave pretty much said it all. Everything that she put on screen was engaging and well-formed and just really well-realized and genuinely funny. She's got the ability to take characters and paint with them in a way that isn't just like astute and sharp, but also just amusing to see. And uh, I just think whatever she's bringing right now is really, really great stuff. It's again, why I felt comfortable enough offering a critique because I think she's doing so good that you kind of have to just zero in on the minutia to find anything wrong with what she's doing. And I think that's a good thing to be able to say for a player on the show. So I'm happy to give it to Heidi tonight. Good for you, buddy. (laughs) Appreciate that (laughs) on a scale of classic, great, decent week or train wreck. How would you rate this episode? Uh, I don't know if it was a classic. Mm Hmm. I'm going to say great. Okay. I don't think it was quite a classic because there were a couple of missteps. Uh, I think it was better than decent because uh, there were some really memorable scenes mm-hmm. uh, that will be with me for a while. And some of those characters and certainly the Cosby sketch pulls it out of decent. Sure. Uh, so I think having three or four, even five really solid sketches in a show would uh, qualify it as great. What do you got, Steve? I'm going to give it a great as well. Okay. Um, I was thinking decent. Because there was a things, uh, mostly in the first half, that I wasn't completely hot on, on my first viewing. And the second viewing, I felt a little more eased up and having talked about it enough. I think I think this does deserve a great. Mm-hmm. Seth was great. He definitely made his mark on it. The writing was great. And we did see a couple of people not get as much screen time. But the ones that were showcased were showcased well and did a great job. Okay. So I think it's a great episode too. I'm there with Dave. Interesting. I'm surprised that you would have even been flirting with decent on an episode like this. Like I, I respect it, but uh, yeah, it, that wasn't even a consideration for me. And I'll tell you why we had a guest on for the Donald Glover episode. And he said something very astute. Mm. He said a great episode is when you watch the vintage rewatch at 10 o'clock and you're happy with the show for the cuts that it made, like what they pare down into an hour is still great. But a classic episode is when you watch the 10 o'clock vintage rewatch and you're cursing SNL for cutting out more great material that you wish you could see again. Okay. And for me, I look at this show and I look at how much ground they covered with the sketches. Like it's not all current events, political stuff. There's a lot of stuff that I think is going to age surprisingly well. That's relatable, accessible material that is going to continue to be funny in the long haul. And even the stuff that's more topical, like the Cosby stuff is some top notch, arguably classic material. So 
I think this show has all its bases covered. And if I were to see it at 10 o'clock, I'm not sure what I would be happy with seeing gone. Even though not all of the back half was super duper strong, there wasn't a single sketch that I didn't enjoy that I didn't feel had some merit or some value being on screen. And overall, the show was just exceptionally tight and focused end to end with sort of a very clear voice and really polished execution. For me, it ticked all the boxes. And uh, when I do see it at 10 o'clock, I probably will be cursing them for cutting something that I really wanted to see again. So for me, that's a classic. Great job. Who was that guy? I don't know. I don't know. That show is lost to the sands of time, but uh, (laughs) we should definitely have him back up sometime. So with all that said, do we have any brilliant closing remarks on Seth Meyers first outing as an SNL host? He was great. Uh, I can't wait to see him come back. I had actually requested him when SNL said who should host this year. He was definitely one of the (laughs) people that I had tweeted about, like, please, uh, why hasn't that happened yet? Uh, so I'm yeah, so true. happy that it finally happened. Like, I was so excited the day of. I texted him uh, before the show how happy I was and excited for him. And he texted me back uh, this morning, yeah, saying that it was uh, you know it, it's nothing like he could have ever expected. Sure. So even he mm. even he was thrown for what the experience was like. That's interesting. Yeah, you'd think he would know, but no, I guess on the other end, no, you can do different. SNL for 12 years or however long he was on you still can't anticipate what it's going to feel like to walk out on home base as a host. There's just, there's no way to ever prep for that moment. Yeah. True. All right. Well, before we head out, I want to thank Dave Buckman. Um, Always a pleasure having you up. I'm sure we're going to be able to connect a few more times throughout the season. If you're game. And uh, just before I do my outro, why don't you remind people what you got cooking and where they can find your theater? Yeah, please check out Cold Town Theater in Austin, Texas. Uh, C-O-L-D-T-O-W-N-E Theater. Uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and uh, Snapchat. Uh, and we do shows seven nights a week, improv, sketch, and stand-up. Uh, we teach classes in how to do that. Uh, we got named dropped by Vulture last month, uh, a place <laughs> to come take classes. So we're very happy about that. And uh, next time you're in Austin, please come check us out. We're a cheap date and we're BYOB. beautiful all right that's a cast thanks to steve finn and to our guest dave buckman you can connect with dave on twitter at dave buckman and thanks as well to our most generous patrons sam bowers aaron and trader jonathan jordan and kaylin pope if you're enjoying our podcast please consider supporting us on patreon our patrons get early ad-free access to each new podcast episode as well as many other exclusive member rewards You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back in one week with Mike Bloom and Mario Lanza's first edition of SNL Month in Review. Until then, this has been episode number 57 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night. Have a pleasant tomorrow.
can say out his Halloween mouth. Oh, hang on, I'm getting a phone call. Kingston Medical. Yes, hello. Yes, this is Trees. Yes, I'm with him right now. James, it's your it's your doctor. Well, you're my emergency contact. Oh, that's sweet. Can I talk to them? Well, who's stopping you? Okay, so I do have it. How'd I get it? But I never touched one of those. Oh, I did lick it. Of course I have clothes. Get rid of them? What about my roommate's clothes? So we need to get rid of his as well? Even my Gucci shoes? Ask the doctor if shoes are clothes. He said everything. Not my Gucci shoes. Does he know the shoes that are Gucci? He heard you and he said yes. Oh, my Gucci shoes. I'm so sorry, Trees. I know how much you love your Gucci shoes. Yes, I did. They were my friends. Tell that to my Gucci shoes. Tweedle do tweet. Tweedle do twat. Look at the pumpkin from the pumpkin tree.